All right, y'all. We are back again, and today's guest is my my new friend, Greg Schmaus, who is uh, let's see, he was a Czech practitioner. If you're finding a theme, we've had a couple of them on recently. Um, yep, the, not beating around the bush was my love for Mr. Paul Czech and his students. Uh, Greg Schmaus was I first learned about him on Living 40, Paul Czech's podcast, which I'm obviously a huge fan of, and. Um, Really, what was cool about his story is a high-level athlete, Division One golfer who just had mental collapse. Um, really, you know, the ultimate, <laughs> I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, some pretty serious breakdown uh, with that and how he cured OCD, the unraveling of OCD and um, doing it without, you know, traditional... Western medicine models through a lot of what Paul Cech teaches. And beyond that, we dive into, we take a deep dive. We know we've kind of grazed over archetypes in the past. I would love to get uh, Robert Moore on the show. So if anybody knows him, uh, hit me up on Instagram. He, of course, is the author of King Warrior, Magician Lover, and um, a couple other really fantastic books. Let's see what the name of the other one is that I haven't started yet. I'm trying to find it. I think it's the Archetype of Initiation. Uh, might be off on that. But anyways, Greg and I, we talk uh, a lot about his work with the archetypes in um, Caroline Mace's work. And it's, it's it's pronounced differently in that spell. I think it's M-Y-S-S. But she wrote the book, Sacred Contracts, amongst many other awesome books. Uh, her audible on that is actually a lecture that she does, which is phenomenal. And of course, she recommends to actually read the book where it goes into much greater detail, but the Audible, if you like listening, which I do, uh, and they're not a sponsor, but <laughs> if you like listening to the Audible, they it's a, it's a really fantastic breakdown, you know. And there's an audience, and she's funny and um, really down to earth. But she really dives into, you know, uh, a very philosophical breakdown, which is, in more or less, been my understanding through plant medicine work. Um, that we we do come here with some degree of choice. We choose our parents. We choose exactly when and where we're born. Uh, we choose a lot of the things that our soul needs to make progress in our ascension uh, through the multi-layered <laughs> experience of uh, ascension. And uh, of course, can't prove that, but... Um, it may resonate with you a lot of the things she has to say on a soul contract level of why we're here. And Rob Noss talked about this a bit in the Audible Becoming Nobody, which is in my top three all time. Uh, but anyways, back to Greg. He took a deep dive into Caroline Mace's work alongside Paul Check, and we dive into all sorts of stuff, uh, recovering from mental health issues to um, optimizing everyday life through all sorts of practices that go uh, inside and outside of what he's learned through Paul. And uh, it's just a phenomenal episode. I really enjoyed my time with him since then. I got into Caroline Mace's work, which is nothing short of incredible. And I think you guys will really dig this podcast. Uh, on my end, you know, I think we're day 12 into Wolf's birth and uh, life on earth. And I'd like to say I'm getting my bearings back, but... Um, I'm just tired and wired, to be perfectly honest. So if this intro sounds a little off, it's it's uh, it is the adjunct of caffeine and modafinil and everything else to get me some type of sharpness. But I just feel tired and wired. So 
Uh, if, if she was our firstborn, I would be sleeping all day long with her. But because we've got our five-year-old little animal bear running around being crazy, uh, I'm just trying to get out to nature as much as possible. We're going to Barton Springs and, of course... A lot is shut down thanks to the resurgence of the viral wave, but um, we're still able to get in the water and get our sunshine. And I think that's that's something that resets the circadian rhythm and just keeps me uh, as sane as I can be during all this stuff. So anyways, if I have uh, anything to say on that, just be in nature. Just like Albert Hoffman said, the great inventor of LSD, be in nature as much as possible, even during quarantines even if you have a mask on and you got to be six feet away from people just get outside it's uh it's so much more valuable than we understand you know just incredible and that's been a huge one for me also support our sponsors they are still paying the bills these guys are still making this show happen and they are absolutely incredible this episode is brought to you by grass-fed intestines with tripe by ancestral supplements ancestral supplements makes new zealand source nose to tail organ meats bone marrow and intestines in simple convenient gelatin capsules uh, it's the same ad read as last time, but I've talked quite a bit about John Fire Lame Deer on this podcast, so I'm going to change it up a bit and riff a little. Uh, Lame Deer Seeker Visions, again, a phenomenal book, one of the best I've ever read uh, from an Indian or Native American uh, speaking on a very particular time in America when things shifted dramatically. But um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal book. And of course, he talks about eating the ends of these guts, <laughs> like Lady in the Tramp with the spaghetti uh, in a race, in a contest. Again, I think that that supersedes what um, most people would consider, you know, maybe it is what, what you'd picture with primal or ancestral, that kind of thing. But, um, and certainly, you know, old school male bravado, but I don't know many people. I mean, I know there's there's tripe and things like that in Mexican soups, and I've consumed it that way. But, you know, eating it raw is probably a stretch of the imagination for a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of organ meats that that taste off. They taste weird just because we're not accustomed to eating them. And, and I'm no different. You know, I have a standard palate for the most part. But this is one of the ways throughout Tasha's pregnancy with Wolf, we were able to introduce various parts of an animal nose to tail. And of course, this is the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished New Zealand cattle which, as you'll find out when I have Rob Wolf back on the show here shortly, in his new book, Sacred Cow, is essential to climate change. Ruminant animals are essential to climate change. They are essential to healing the soil. They are essential for the earth, and they are some of the most nutrient-dense things we can put in our body. So again, if you're not looking to go out there and get as primal as possible and hunt your own animal and eat it raw and worry about different things uh, that might be in their current environment... Um, you can get these super cleaned up in capsules. They have a whole host of things. But, you know, one of the old um, indigenous wisdoms was if you had uh, an ache or an issue with a particular organ, you would eat that organ. And like attracts like, like helps like. And so if you think about that, we have a lot of gut issues. We have a lot of gut issues. And it's not just due to the microbiome or the lack of diversity in the microbiome. I've had many gut uh, experts on this podcast a lot of it has to do with not having enough variety and certainly has to do, in my opinion, with not getting these different parts of the animals into our body. But um, 
you know, look no further than this. Intestines, stomach tripe, and other gelatinous parts provide concentrated amounts of connective tissue, undenatured collagen, probiotics, and other gut-specific proteins that are now absent from our modern diet. And this is all in one amazing capsule that, that my wife has been taking her whole pregnancy, and it's nothing short of phenomenal. Visit ancestralsupplements.com slash Kyle, and you'll get 15% off everything they have in the store. I love their beef organs. If you're not sure, like, damn, these guys got a lot of products. What should I do? The beef organs is a compilation of a lot of different products rolled into one. So you kind of get an all for one. I love the MOFO, the male optimization formula. Uh, there's prostate, testicles, all sorts of stuff in there to support male health. And um, they got a whole host of good stuff. So whatever you're into, check it out. Ancestralsupplements.com slash Kyle, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. We are also brought to you today by Paleo Valley Apple Cider Vinegar Complex. Um, this stuff's really phenomenal. You get all the healing properties of apple cider vinegar into a daily diet without the fuss or the burn. Anybody who's uh, drank an ACV uh, or drunk ACV knows that it, it certainly can hit you in the back of the throat like a horse kick. Um, this doesn't have any of those issues. Obviously, they're encapsulated, but they still help quite a bit with digestion, the breaking down of proteins into amino acids for better absorption, improving the blood sugar response, supporting with satiety and cravings. And the main ingredient, acetic acid, supports in extracting nutrients from food for their use in the body. They combine ACV with other healing spices like turmeric, ginger, cinnamon, and lemon for added benefits for digestion. And of course, cinnamon has been shown. I think Tim Ferriss talked about this in The 4-Hour Body, uh, the importance of cinnamon when it comes to blood sugar management. So most of us know if you've been listening to this podcast, uh, you know, blood sugar leading to inflammation, leading to a lot of things, leading, if nothing else, simply to fat gain, but also to mental fog, being tired, the afternoon slump, all that was in, of course, my brother, Aubrey Marcus's book, um, tons of stuff, you know, really going around how we manage our blood sugar and ACV is one of the best ways we can do that while still getting away with eating something, um, that might be a clean food like white rice or sweet potatoes, but still going to have an impact on us depending on our DNA. It also improves high blood pressure. It reduced heart disease risk and um, prevented LDL from oxidizing in certain studies. So lots of good stuff here when it comes to that. Um, you go to paleovalley.com and enter code word Kyle at checkout. You're going to get 15% off everything in the store. These guys have the amazing beef sticks, the turkey sticks, and lots of other cool products on there. So check that out. Paleovalley.com. Enter code word Kyle at checkout. 15% off everything in the store. We're also brought to you by my friends, Alex Rupchinski and Sarah Gustafson. We'll be married later this year. They were on the podcast. We took a dive into also, like Greg Schmaus, uh, archetypes, relationships, and many other cool ways that they are bringing you uh, coaching. And so what they have in their coaching is a deeper dive into energy, how to elevate and move through different levels of consciousness, and how to expand to understand your interconnection and interdependence between all living things, uh, to expand awareness and consciousness on all levels, arouse deeper insight and explore your personal life philosophy and relationship to the universe. Uh, really, really profound guys, uh, of course, very high level check practitioners and um, phenomenal friends of mine that I've learned a ton from. And I've done all sorts of work with these guys. I've worked with them on relationship issues. I've worked with Alex on the body. He's a phenomenal masseuse. So if you're out in Austin and need some body work done, he's just incredible. And if you're out making it out this way, uh, they have just finished a state of the art gym with a float tank, uh, hot and cold. You know, they got the sauna, they have treatment rooms, they have a huge gym, they have jujitsu mats, uh, 
It's just phenomenal. So top to bottom, these guys know everything from the physical, the mental, emotional to the spiritual and how you guys can gain the most out of life. And if you go to primalfusion.com slash E3 slash Kyle, you're going to get three free videos that will help you understand uh, your purpose a little bit better and really fine tune what's important now in your life. What are the next steps to take and how they can help you? And they're offering uh, 12 coaching hours per month for 400 bucks. Normally, that's a minimum of three grand. So huge discount for this listener. Absolutely massive as they work, as many of us are, to providing more stuff online. Highly recommend these guys as coaches. You will gain a lot from it. Last but not least, we are brought to you by my good friends over at One Farm. One Farm, of course, used to be Wabe, and they are a single origin USDA certified organic hemp farm out in Colorado, making the finest CBD products on the planet. They do a full spectrum CBD, which means it contains all of the cannabinoids, alkaloids, and terpenes that you would find in Mother Nature's version of cannabis, Mother Nature's version of hemp. And, um, you know, using a 100% CO2 extraction, of course, that leaves you with only the good stuff and nothing that you would find to not want in your body. Just really good products. They have a cinnamon and a lemon flavor tincture as well as an unflavored, and it's just natural flavors with MCT oil as the base. All the rest is the plant itself. Of course, night creams and serums for the ladies. If you're looking for a good gift for your wife, for your girlfriend, or if you got, you know, beat up skin like I do in the in the Texas summer, it's a great way to hydrate the skin and actually look a bit younger. So phenomenal products there. Onefarm.com slash Kyle, and you're gonna get 15% off your order, your entire order. That's onefarm.com slash Kyle. And without further ado, my man Greg Schmaus. <laughs> well, cool. I, I, we were just talking before we started recording here about um, our links with with Paul Check, and I'm sure he'll come up on this podcast. But um, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess uh, you know I heard of you first through your podcast with Paul, which is mm-hmm. a three hour monster of a beautiful podcast. As they they oftentimes uh, go on Paul's shows when he's got a lot to say and a lot to hear uh, from his guests. So that's a fantastic one. We'll link to in the show notes. Um, but I do want to pretend that we don't have this, the exact same following. And mm-hmm. so there might be a, a little bit of crossover here with some of the questions and answers yeah, and that's, sure. that's all good. Um, but tell me, I mean, uh, let's just start with the beginning. Talk about growing up, what life was like, yeah. uh, and then we'll get into, you know, this, this transformation process that's yeah, taking place. So I grew up in Jersey and I was always an athlete growing up. Um, I was a soccer player. I was a ski racer. And then I moved to South Carolina when I was uh, 16 to play, to play golf exclusively. And when I was 18, I moved out to, uh, to Houston, Texas. I played Division I golf at the University of Houston. And, uh, oh, and this is an emotional part of the story for me um, to share. So, uh, So when I was a, when I was a freshman, I had a testicular torsion where I almost lost one of my testicles. And during that time I went in for surgery and, uh, started having a lot of challenging symptoms afterwards when I come, when I came out of anesthesia and the night after my surgery, I started having terrible nightmares. I started having terrible insomnia and I saw this image of this woman in my hotel room and 
it was kind of one of those frightening images that wakes you up at night and you're like, what in the world was that? And I was in a very vulnerable state and I couldn't get out of bed because I couldn't walk. You know, I was kind of like strapped down to the bed and all wrapped up and stuff. And I, I couldn't get that image out of my head. And moving forward for the next couple years, every time I was in a building, I'd have to check doors to make sure there's no one there. I would have these thoughts and images repeating themselves in my mind thousands of times a day. And I had to leave school because I couldn't sit in a classroom for more than 20 minutes. So after that, that was about a five to six year downward spiral until I met Paul and started working with him and kind of came out the other side of it a couple years later. But I mean, I never really experienced any of this when I was growing up. I was, I was a quiet kid, um, but I was very athletic. I always expressed myself through my physical body. So there weren't, there weren't too many real wounds growing up. Um, I felt like I had a very privileged childhood. I was a division one athlete and obviously my, my soul had something else waiting for me on the other side. But, uh, it's interesting that, uh, that we're actually doing this today. I was looking at, uh, are the listeners able to see video on this or are they just hearing the audio? Yeah, we have video. Thanks to thanks to the Chrome so extension. A year Obviously, ago that's today, a whole different conversation. Yeah, <laughs> a year ago today, I did my archetypal wheel, which is your twelve natal wheel archetypes that you're born into with, and you have the four survival archetypes, and then your eight individual ones. And it's a year ago today that I cast the wheel. So today marks the completion of one year cycle of having that archetypal wheel. And what's interesting is each of the 12 archetypes, you basically spend one month in each one of them. And I'm in the month of the wounded child. Mm. And the past month has been ever since I did the podcast with Paul, tons of speaking engagements, tons of webinars, a couple podcasts, I'm like, wow, that wounded child is the child that was made fun of for never speaking, for being so quiet. And now I'm just being like thrown into all these speaking engagements where I actually have to express myself fully. And I notice that little child in me like, are you sure you want to do this? Um, (laughs) But uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that's been carried with me growing up that I that's still kind of comes up from my childhood is that self-expression and um, now transitioning out of expressing myself with my physical body, kind of needing to let go of that a little bit and develop the deeper parts of myself, which is what the, uh, the experience I shared with you earlier kind of took me on that journey, that, that hero's journey that we all talk about. So. Yeah, let's let's unpack some of that. We had uh, Alex and Sarah on, uh, Alex Rubchinsky and Sarah Gusterson, who are also Czech practitioners, and they went through a lot of the archetypes, um, kind of the general archetypes of the masculine, obviously, uh, you know, uh, one of Jung's great um, successors wrote The King, the Warrior, the Magician, the Lover. It's a great book. And um, 
We talked about that. We talked a little bit about the female archetypes through Sarah, who's helped develop a course with Paul. Um, break some of this down. I don't think we really unpacked a lot of what archetypes are and are they different for everyone within that wheel or are there some of the, the similar ones? But just kind of unpack that for us, I guess. Yeah, so the archetypes are really essentially almost like roles that we play in each incarnation. And we all have the four survival archetypes of the victim, the saboteur, the child, and the prostitute. These are all the archetypes that we fall into the trap of using as a means of safety and survival. Um, Obviously, the victim is the one who thinks that life is happening to you rather than for you. The saboteur is when we're basically self-sabotaging. The child is the part of ourself that's always looking for authoritative figures to tell us what to do. The child. I think there's a lot of, a lot of that going on in the world right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's, there's, I think what's going on in the world right now is more a magnification of what's already been there all along. Um, and the child is also the one that needs external approval and validation for itself to feel whole. Um, the prostitute is the, last of the four survival archetypes in which we we give ourselves away or abandon our values for some sort of gain. Um, mm. And then essentially we all have individual archetypes that we are born with and are part of basically the, the framework of our psyche. And that varies person to person. I mean, I have, you know, the healer, the visionary, the shapeshifter. And what's cool about when you cast the wheel is there's 12 different houses, like one's work, one's values, one's fun and play, one's house of like sexuality and communication. And so when you cast the wheel, you're like, oh, why does that archetype show up in that house right now? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, I had the addict archetype show up in my house of communication. So I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Like, where does the addict show up in my communication? It's like, well, okay, well, I'm addicted to people pleasing. I probably fall into the trap of taking a hit of that drug of approval. And that shows up in the sense that what's common with the addict is something called a story gap. And the story gap is the difference between the story you're telling yourself and the story you're telling the world. So the head and the heart are out of alignment and our ability to make clear choices and our ability to to communicate gets clouded. So it's so fascinating how these archetypes show up in our lives. And the more we dive into them, the more we have a greater understanding of why we do the things we do, why we say the things we say, and our choices and behaviors are really driven by these archetypes. Yeah, the, 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 the narrative within and, and also without, the cultural narrative that we all tell ourselves. Yeah. I, my, my question is, did you, did you do this with Paul in some of your work with him? Or was this something like, could anybody find like a, a resource online? Yeah, you can. And how is it determined? Um, I did some archetype work with Paul, but not this wheel. This wheel I actually did with my now girlfriend's. A year ago, she's into a lot of the archetypal work, and it's based on a lot of Caroline Miss's work. So if you go look into, um, what's her book? Uh, 
Sacred Contracts is a great book on all these archetypes. And you can order the archetype deck of cards and use that as a ceremony to cast the wheel. And you can print out these sheets online. Um, okay. So Caroline Miss is probably the best resource for the archetypal work. And is there, she has a website. I'm, I'll just, well, I won't Google it. That's a, <laughs> yeah. I'll Swiss cows it. I'll Swiss cows it. But uh, you can just punch that into a search engine yeah. and then it'll come up for yeah, website. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Absolutely. So it's powerful work. It brings a lot of clarity. Yeah. So we jumped here to the last year, uh, somewhere in between that. And I think it might've been in college with likely with the injury and, and um, uh, you know, these, these horrific or, or really frightening visions that kind of stick with us, mm-hmm. but talk about your trip. I mean, did you, did you always have um, some degree of OCD as a kid as like a perfectionist or wanting to do things right? It seems like golf is yeah. the perfect sport to fit into that. Um, unpack that for us. Talk about, you know, when that really took hold of you and, and how you use that to help uh, really turn you into the person that you are today. Yeah. So I, I would say that I was always a perfectionist. I always had a certain level of intensity in my work. Um, I was very focused and driven from, I mean, the age of five, six years old. I just always had this sense of being on a mission. Um, and at, at first glance, that served me really well because it brought me a lot of success early on in my life and my athletics. And as a child, it brought me the approval of parents and coaches and the recognition of, wow, this kid's so hardworking and this and that. But I never really experienced anything obsessive compulsive that was what I would consider debilitating or lacking a sense of freedom at all. Um, But I would definitely say that there were elements of the profile of someone with OCD within myself from the very beginning. It just hadn't manifested as, I would say, a pathology early on in my life. So fast forward to being a freshman in college and experiencing the testicular torsion and the insomnia and the psychological challenges after coming out of anesthesia and all that. And then the following years of, like I was sharing earlier, having a lot of the obsessive compulsive thought patterns and images and um, the inability to stay in school, that was really what kickstarted that whole spiral and what I would consider a journey. And it was very much a shamanic journey. Um, But looking back at that whole experience, I realized that that OCD didn't happen to me. That OCD happened for me. And that OCD was what I would consider the greatest spiritual teacher I've ever had. And the reason is when you have that amount of internal chaos and that storm occurring around you, you can't run from that. You have to go headfirst right into it. And all the inner work, the meditative practices, the Tai Chi, the breath work, all that is what allowed me to work with it and learn how to sit in the eye of the storm. So I could have all this internal obsessive compulsive chaos circling around me, but I could sit right in the eye where everything's perfectly still. 
And the OCD actually gave me my first, what I would consider spiritual awakening. Cause you're like, wow, I'm watching all this unfolds, but I'm the one that's just sitting still watching this storm. Who is this that's aware of all this happening? And I would start diving into a lot of the Eastern philosophies, a lot of the Buddhist teachings, a lot of the Taoist teachings. And it, it gave me a framework to work with and everything that they were sharing. I'm like, wow, this is so spot on. And I would apply all those teachings like, okay, I would read this like Taoist proverb of, if you want to get rid of something, first allow it to expand. If you want to shrink mm. something, first let it grow. And to the rational mind, you're like, that doesn't make sense. But you realize that when you start working with something like OCD and start working with the mind, you realize that the mind is one big paradox. So I'm like, okay, if I try and get rid of the OCD, it gets stronger because what you resist persists. But if I, um, if I work with the OCD, almost like a dog, and I'm like, all right, we're at the park, go play, do whatever you want. I'm just going to sit on the bench and watch you. All of a sudden, it sits right by your side and doesn't move. So the reason I say that this OCD was a great spiritual teacher is because it allowed all the spiritual teachings to make sense to me because everything, the whole, the whole journey and the whole framework that these teachings guide you through, which the Eastern philosophies really give you like an inner roadmap to work with. I find a lot of like the Western teachings to be too much, too outward oriented. Um, so I realized that everything I was working with and everything I was healing in myself was exactly what I needed for my own spiritual growth. And the only reason I'm able to share a lot of what I'm able to share with you and on Paul's podcast and with clients and such is because of that gift of OCD that I received. And if there's one message that I can share coming out of that is whatever challenge that you're experiencing, whatever pain you're experiencing, go right into it. When you go right into it, you realize that it's exactly what your soul has gifted you as your curriculum. And the curriculum is providing you the lessons that you're here to learn. And by avoiding it, it's just going to, just going to keep following you. So, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely kind of that, that perspective that I've taken looking back on the journey. Yeah. I like that. When did you, when did you link up with Paul? Did you start taking some of his classes or did you just jump right in with, with one-on-one coaching? So when I was playing college golf, my trainer was a Czech practitioner. So I knew about Paul's work prior to working with him. And then about three to four years into a lot of those challenges, um, I had reached out to Paul and after about a couple of weeks, he, uh, he decided to take me on as a client. Um, at first he said no, cause he was full, but you know, Paul, he, uh, he lets his soul guide him. So his soul said that he and I had a contract and that, um, this was, this was more of an internship than a therapy. And he, uh, he took me on as a client. I think it was probably 2013 and we worked together for about two and a half years of weekly coaching remotely. And then probably twice a year, I'd go out there and um, do some healing work for a couple days at a time. So that was, we finished that up probably four years ago. 
Beautiful. Uh, yeah. yeah. Long, long road for sure. Yeah. And I was studying as a Czech practitioner during that time as well. So I was going through all the HLC work and Czech practitioner work. So I was kind of a client slash student during that process. Very cool. Yeah. Unpack some of the HLC work. I know, uh, you know, we're, Paul moved HLC one, which I took originally with Angie, um, when I was still fighting, you know, no intentions of being a holistic life coach or anything like that. Uh, just really wanted it for myself, you know, to be a better athlete, better fighter, and to have like a, a more holistic view of how to live better and how to get the most out of life. And I was really blown away by it. Now it's available online, which is awesome. I think a lot of people should take it regardless of what their profession is, but Talk a bit about some of those core concepts from our thoughts, you know, that the thing that's sticking out to me right now is this totem, you know, his totem pole mm-hmm. where you, you look through and it starts with thoughts and then we get into hydration or breath and then we go to hydration and mm-hmm. then to food all the way down the ladder. Talk about how some of those practices were able to shape you and give you more um, sovereignty in, in what you were working on. Yeah. So, I mean, the totem pole is really used as a way of assessing somebody and getting to the root of their issue. And I mean, Paul's totem pole is really based on survival reflexes as to the hierarchy systems that the body needs to maintain order for its own survival. And those higher order systems will override anything beneath it on, on the totem pole. But in terms of the HLC coaching it's really the six foundation principles that are the foundation of our health. And the six foundation principles are nutrition, hydration, sleep. Those are the yin principles. And then breathing, thinking, and movement are the yang principles. So obviously, in terms of what I was experiencing and any mental health challenge, nutrition plays a huge role. We know, obviously, that the nutrients that we consume have a huge effect, effect on cognitive function. Um, to me, the management of blood sugar was huge. Anytime our blood sugar is thrown out of whack, it, it hugely affects levels of stress and anxiety and fear and all that. Um, anything that disrupts the gut microbiome, I was having a lot of gut issues during that time. So obviously we know the brain to gut connection Um, you know, most people talk about how the brain affects the gut, but not as many people talk about how the gut actually affects the brain and how like almost 80% of our serotonin and neurotransmitters are produced in the gut. So when I was experiencing a lot of GI issues, my cognitive, um, performance and ability to think with clarity was way distorted. Um, and then also on a subtler level, when the gut's disrupted and our body is out of balance, it makes it uncomfortable to sit in the body. It makes it um, challenging to allow ourselves to feel and sense everything that's happening in the body. So a lot of times what happens is we divorce ourselves from the body when it gets too unhealthy and we live from the neck up. And when Mm -hmm. we live from the neck up, it's almost as if, we're using thinking as a way of numbing out feeling. So obviously feeling is the language of the body. Thinking is the language of the mind. And when there's aspects of ourselves, whether it's emotional, even just biochemical that we don't want to feel in the body, we're going to generate thought patterns as a way of avoiding everything below. So the diet on a biochemical level, but also on a subtler energetic level has a huge effect. 
um, food quality, such as anytime I ate like factory farmed meat, as opposed to like pasture raised grass fed meat, I noticed a huge change in cognition. Um, anything that caused any inflammation in my gut also would disrupt the breathing pattern. Cause when the guts inflamed, the diaphragm doesn't work properly. So obviously the mind and the breathing mirror each other. So when you disrupt the breathing, you disrupt the mind. So there's so many ways that everything is interconnected and Paul's teachings of his six foundation principles and the, um, the hierarchy control centers, the totem pole, it just really outlines that no system is existing in isolation. And, um, that's the nutrition, the hydration sleep is huge. I mean, to me, like sleep is obviously when the body heals itself, but it's also when the mind kind of defragments itself and integrates itself. So when I was sleep deprived, I felt like my mind was very fragmented. Like there were pieces, like a puzzle that all the pieces were like all over the place and nothing was put together. And the sleep, like a good night's sleep would kind of like start putting pieces together and you wake up and it would be, um, more congruent and more integrated. Um, so sleep was huge. Then, uh, obviously we talked about breathing. The breathing is really kind of our anchor. That's what bridges the mind and the body and keeps us anchored in the present moments. And it's the one faculty that we can influence our physiology and psychology faster than anything is the breath. Um, then we have movements, which, uh, the biggest thing that I took away from my experience with OCD and movement is the importance of not just working out, but working in a lot of people with OCD that are perfectionists and have that high level of intensity. They're always working out, but it's kind of like constantly withdrawing from the ATM and never making a deposit. So I had to really dial back the training to go through my healing process for my mind and my gut and do a lot more Tai Chi and Qigong and breath work and walking meditation. So making sure that I was working in just as much I was working out was huge. And then also doing a lot of stretching and mobility work. I found that the more stretching and mobility work I did like foam rolling and um, myofascial stretching and all that, it was almost as if I created more room within myself to work and the less I did the stretching and mobility, it was kind of like, I felt like a room with so much furniture in it that there was like no room to operate where like when I would do the like myofascial release and all the foam rolling and Feldenkrais and all that stuff, it's kind of like I cleared everything out and it's just like, all right, I have some space inside of me. So yeah, every single one of the six foundation and we didn't even get to thinking yet, which is obviously the root of a lot of these issues, but I mean, just by addressing those six foundation principles, there's so much healing that can take place without even going after the specific pathology or specific disease. So it's really the foundation. Yeah, I love that. So much, so much there that's, that's coming up for me right now. Uh, since quarantine started, I've been working, and I know I've already mentioned on this podcast, but uh, I've been working a lot with online yoga. And there's a fantastic website I have no affiliation with, but my wife's teacher who she did 200 hours yoga teacher training is a lady named Jen Pru, who was a Ram Dass understudy mm -hmm. and out in California. And she created yoga anytime. And there's tons of different um, people that you can choose to learn from on that site. But if you take her classes, 
she drops like her commentary is as good as any spiritual text I've ever read. And she has a class specifically called spaciousness and openness that I've done more than any other because of the reminder she says within that, you know, Mm -hmm. and and one of the things she talks about is when you feel sensation, which is a much better word to use than pain. Mm -hmm. um, All it takes is bringing your awareness and the breath to it. Mm -hmm. It's like shining the light on the darkness and that allows for that expansion to take place. Mm And Kelly Sturette talks about this too with mobility. Like if you make the pain face while you're on a foam roller, your body's not, it's going to tighten up further. It's not going to release into that. But if you can start to relax and at least relax your jaw and breathe into wherever there is sensation, oftentimes you'll find that start to open up. Mm -hmm. And that's a concept that I see that really goes past yoga. It goes past stretching. It goes past opening up little knots in the body. It goes into how you think, how you feel, how you operate. You know, if I feel anxiety or nervousness around uh, something coming up, if I can sit with it and breathe into it and draw my awareness to it, there's usually some part of the body that that will physically express in. A lot of people feel tightness in their chest or their throat or their jaw, and you can just start to mindfully relax that as you bring your awareness to it. And, you know, that, that whole practice has really, in the past month for me, been so expansive because as you talked about, and as Paul talks about, everything is interconnected. Mm-hmm. Every, every part, it's not one, there is no one individual system that's not relying upon the other parts. But as we express that and open up into the body, all of a sudden we create space in the mind. We create space mm-hmm. in our thinking and our thoughts. We create space where there may not be much space. Obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're still in quarantine right now. I think this episode will probably drop in a, in a couple of months here, but as of this moment, we're, we're, I'm surrounded by family. I got a little kid here. And so um, any opportunity I can use to create space within myself mm-hmm. matters because there is uh, you know, a lot closer proximity to people. I don't have eight hours you know, at an office or the ability to just uh, check out. And I think a lot of people, you know, we're even missing our commutes, you know, mm-hmm. so there, that, that was time for ourselves and, and any way that we can create space within, it just helps all systems work better. There's yeah. uh, more freedom within that. Yeah. And also you can obviously have such an influence on the mind by going directly into the body and having that indirect effect on the mind. And like I was alluding to earlier, if you consider feeling as the language of the body and thoughts as the language of the mind, and we use thinking to avoid feeling, we're using the mind to avoid the body. A lot of times these thought patterns and anyone experiencing anxiety, stressful thoughts, fearful thoughts, obsessive compulsive thoughts, is there's certain parts of themselves, certain emotions that they're unwilling to experience. And if you actually, like you were alluding to earlier, go right into the physical sensation, you realize that what we're doing is we're resisting a physical experience. If you think about any time we're afraid, you know, we have heart racing, palm sweating, butterflies in the stomach, and we avoid that because it's in this framework of fear. But if we go out on a first date with someone and we're driving to meet them, our heart starts racing, our palms start sweating, we have butterflies in the stomach. So the actual physical experience is exactly the same, but the storyline that we attach to them determine whether we're willing to experience it or not. So if we drop the storyline and just go into the physical experience, it's just like the emotion is energy in motion. It's just emotion or energy flowing through us. 
and we just sit with it and it passes and we can let go of the storyline. And that's how we can heal a lot of aspects of the mind by using the body. I love that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking of is, is, and obviously this, I think this ties into a lot of people, you know, well outside the scope of just people with uh, some diagnosis of OCD or ADHD or any of these things mm-hmm. is, is the idea that we have to be in control. Mm-hmm. And the opposing thing of that is to let go and surrender. Mm-hmm. So talk about how those two have really affected you and how they play into the mental landscape of, of every, everyone in the modern world right now. So, I mean, what you try and control ends up controlling you. Cause if you're trying to control something, you're creating a bondage with it. So you're not free from it because you're trying to control it. So, I mean, the old saying like what you resist persists is so true and trying to control, let's just say working with thoughts, that's where I mean, the basis of a lot of this is, is in our thought patterns. Trying to control thoughts is like trying to control waves on the ocean. You try and stop the waves, you create more ripples, you create more waves. And someone with OCD or ADD or any stress or anxiety is essentially using a control mechanism that is based in fear based in the unwillingness to be vulnerable. And they're constantly swimming against the tide where practices like mindfulness and meditation allows you to learn how to surf the waves by being the witness, being the observer. So, I mean, really control is based in fear and fear is, I I love Paul's acronym of fear, false evidence appearing real, um, which is beautifully stated. And from my experience, a lot of this is rooted in some trauma or experience in our life where we didn't feel safe. We felt vulnerable and our sense of survival, our sense of safety and security was threatened. And during these times, shamanism calls this soul loss where a piece of our soul gets fragmented. And it's kind of like that piece of the puzzle that becomes unattached And it's almost like we have these watchdogs that are looking out for any similar threats to, uh, to make sure that our sense of safety and security is kept intact. But the issue is we're looking from the lens of a previous trauma. We're not looking at life through the lens of the present moments. So a lot of times our control mechanisms are a way of making sure that we re that we never re-experience a trauma or an experience we had in the past in which we were left vulnerable and our sense of safety and security was threatened. So the more experiences we have of these, the more fragments become lost, the more soul loss we have, the more watchdogs that we have looking out for any potential threats and the more these watchdogs become our control mechanisms. And I almost think, I almost think of like a, like the Joker from the dark Knight, where he has his pit bulls around him. And that's the mm, sense of control. Yeah. Cause obviously the Joker probably had a very wounded childhood and each wound is a pit bull that's looking through the lens of that child who didn't feel safe. So it's surveying the environment to make sure there's no potential threats, not realizing that it's looking through the lens of the past, not the present. So mm. that's where a lot of like soul retrieval work is incredible 
And um, a lot of the shamanic practices and plant medicine is great because it helps reintegrate these parts of ourselves that have been fragmented and allows us to let go of that need for control because we've let go of those lenses that we used to wear and we can kind of look through the lens of the present moment and through the awareness through practices like meditation and all that where we can sit in the eye of the storm but not have to try and control the storm i like that a lot talk talk a bit about you know working with plant medicines and um not just the potentials there i'm, I'm pretty i mean i'm not uh, i can't paint with a broad brush even though i do it often uh, I think my listeners are pretty familiar, at least with, uh, I know they're, list, they're, they're familiar with the conversation around it. I think they're familiar with experience. Talk a bit about, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's of paramount importance that you work with a high-level practitioner when you go into the deep waters. But talk a bit about how one can start to intentionally work on things like that when it comes to soul retrieval or unpatterning um, some of these wounds that, that go back pretty far. Typically in my experience, you know, I've, I've, and I'm, I'm just one, one in particular comes to mind, which I talked about on Aubrey's podcast was I had done a good deal of work around my childhood, specifically with my father. And I love my dad. We have a phenomenal relationship now. Um, and then my 25th ayahuasca ceremony, you know, I, I had had my first cup and I cleared any physical because I was pretty tight, you know, and so I said, let's really open up the body. And I did a lot of yoga for probably four hours during the ceremony. And then the second cup, I said, let's clear anything left over, any, any, um, anything I'm still holding on to from childhood. And I spent the entire night until sunrise, you know, reliving a lot of painful memories with my dad in particular. And it was like, why the fuck now? Why is this all still here? I had done so much and why 25 ceremonies in? does this all come up, but it was still there, you know? So I think um, if we can set that intention, but I guess I'm looking for, you know, with our awareness, if we realize there probably is some stuff we still need to unpack, can we just set the intention to dig in deeper? Or is that typically going to be something that is a guided experience through others that can help us get there? You mean without, without the use of plant medicine? No, I'm talking about with plant medicines with plant for medicine. sure. Cause we got another big ceremony coming up here yeah. at summer solstice. So um, some stuff to work on. Yeah. So, I mean, from my experience with plant medicine, obviously it's, it's a sacred ceremony. It's not done irresponsibly without proper set and setting. Um, and I always went into each ceremony with intention, but for me, the intention was never exactly what I wanted to heal because what I wanted to heal might not necessarily have been what I needed to heal at that given time. So we, we almost create this illusion that we have like a timeline of when each thing should be healed. But obviously <laughs> um, the design team that put this all together doesn't work in space and time. So um, it's not really up to us when that happens. It's really a matter of being able to sit in the posture of surrender and being willing to open ourselves to whatever needs healing, not what we want to heal. And mm. that's been my experience with the plant medicine is set an intention, but set an intention to be open to whatever the journey is going to bring forth for you. I mean, I look at it symbolically with my life. My, my intention from the beginning was to be a professional golfer, but that got 
shattered pretty quickly. And now my life's purpose is sharing a lot of the messages that I'm sharing with you and the work I do with my clients and a lot of these mental, emotional challenges. So to me, it was more a metaphor of, I'm not going to set an intention for what I want to heal. I'm just going to set an intention for being open and receptive to what needs to be healed. And when you do that, you kind of like hand it over and Mm, you just turn yourself over and be like, okay, I mean, I'm a vessel for whatever needs to move through me. And if I set too specific of an intention, it's kind of like I'm setting up, it's kind of like the mouse that has to like weave through all these little, like the maze. And it's like, no, if you drop the maze, you just allow things to flow. So it's almost like being a little less specific and just being more open. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That One of my first ceremonies, we had closing circle and uh, a lady was sobbing and uh, it was her turn to share. And she just shared that I, the only reason I came here was to talk to my mother who recently passed away. And the, the curandero said, no, that's, that's not the way we, 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 you know, and they were specific, you know, in, in, um, in being broad with the intention prior to the ceremony. So the fact that she was uh, clinging to that, um, you know, he really wanted to make a point that, that we don't always get what we want, but do we do get what we need. And if we're, mm-hmm. if we're open to that, then we're not attached to this one thing we really want, then we can have the beauty of the medicine. Mm-hmm. But if our only focus is that one thing and we don't necessarily get it at that particular time, you know, that will often lead to disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the main theme around my whole journey was surrendering. And to me, I had an awareness that the more I tried to get rid of OCD, the more I stayed entangled with OCD. But the more I realized that, you know, if the divine is the source of everyone and everything and exists within everything, the divine exists within this OCD. So if I'm rejecting and trying to control this OCD and trying to push it away and move away from it, I'm actually trying to move away and push away a part of the divine. So the only thing that was left to do is to realize that I'm going to heal when I let go of the need to change anything. I'm going to heal when I'm willing to surrender to all of it, not just the comfort, but the discomfort, not just the pleasure, but the pain. And once I was willing to sit with all of it, eventually it just dissolves because your need to control is kind of the need to say, I'm willing to experience this, but not that. I'm willing Mm -hmm. to feel this, but not that. And once you set up those conditions and those boundaries and those borders, you've divorced yourself from the part of yourself that is divine that's willing to experience all of it. So that's where, to me, surrender is the number one faculty in healing from anything is because we, that's where letting go of that need for control is, is letting go of what we are and are not willing to experience because the divine is experiencing all of it. So if we want to touch that part of ourself that is divine, we have to be willing to experience all of it. So... My OCD healed when I let go of the need to heal the OCD because I realized there was nothing to heal. 
I like that. Yeah. And from that framework, I think it, if you take from the framework that uh, Rumi did in his, in uh, one of his poems, there is, there is a field outside of good and bad, just past right and wrong. I'll meet you there. And that came up for it's, me in one of my first ceremonies. <laughs> Fuck yeah. It's so simple, but it's like, oh, anything I place that uh, judgment on or that observation, even if I'm not even going to use the word judgment, if, I just, if I'm just observing something as right and wrong or good and bad, it's going to place it into categories that I have a preference to. And if I have a preference around those things, that very much will influence what I'm willing to surrender and take in what if, and my attachment to it or not, right? Ramdas was saying that it's, or, or well, actually the Buddha was saying that it's the same line of polarity, what I cling to and what I avoid and push away. The aversion is the same line of suffering as the clinging and the mm-hmm. attachment. They're all in the same pol- polar scale there. So like really being mindful of what those are, mm-hmm. what are the things that I gravitate towards? Is there any act of addiction or numbing that I continue to do through the way that I talk to people, the shows that I watch, the things that I bring into my consciousness. Is there anything that I'm avoiding? Is there anything that I don't want to experience that I'm really doing a, a whatever good, a good or bad job of, of, of actually avoiding is, is there something that I'm trying to not experience in life? Mm-hmm. And I think if we have that awareness, then that puts us in the position to be able to actually let go and experience what needs to be experienced. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes a lot of spiritual courage, but uh, it's really the willing to the willingness to experience both polarities, no matter no matter what. And uh, especially with OCD, it's very much tied into the addict. You can look at OCD as a form of addiction. It's a it's an addiction to behaviors. It's an addiction to thought patterns. Anxiety is an addiction to worrying. So a lot of mental health challenges and a lot of physical health challenges are rooted in a form of addiction. And there's a great book, uh, The Fourfold Way, that outlines the four major addictions of humanity. And number one is intensity, which you can look at all addiction as a form of intensity. The positive side is when it's managed properly, it's passion. But when it's mismanaged intensity, it becomes addiction. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of a mismanagement of your inner fire. So then the second is, and that's why we have like substance abuse, like caffeine or pot or alcohol. It's a way of bringing ourselves back to baseline in terms of that inner fire. Um, The second is perfectionism, which is kind of that drug of approval where we need to avoid the parts of ourselves that feel unworthy of love or insecure or imperfect. And um, the perfectionism is a huge source of addiction. And that's the root of a lot of obsessive compulsive disorder is the unwillingness to be vulnerable and imperfect because a part of us feels unworthy and unsafe. And then the last two are interesting. The the third is needing to know, which is huge right now. Needing to know the consumption of information, the fear of the unknown and that fuels that addiction to technology and all the clickbait headlines that we're so addicted to clicking on. Um, And then the last is the fixation on what's wrong or what's not working is really based on that survival reflex of always needing to scan the environment for potential threats or anything that's a threat to our safety and security. So we fixate on what's wrong or what's not working. So 
those four are huge when it comes to addiction and huge when it comes to anxiety, which I think this whole coronavirus experience is magnifying all four of those hugely right now. And um, obviously with the levels of stress and anxiety and fear at an all-time high, it's just really uncovering what was flying under the radar all along. And this is just a huge opportunity for us to have more awareness of how these things are manifesting in our lives. Yeah, it seems to be one of the key ingredients in all of this. I mean, not even during Corona, but just in life in general is what we're paying attention to. And I think as, as things surface, right, like, like I could have the intention of healing all childhood stuff, but through divine timing, that may happen on ceremony 40 or, or mm-hmm. 10 years from now, even without ceremonies, it may just happen when the time is right to process. Um, but collectively right now, we have time to process. Mm-hmm. It's one thing that we, we do have to do. And uh, I know I've said it a, a million times here before, but, you know, part of this experience is not just going inside our house, it's going inside ourselves. And there's a big calling for that. What are some tips you have for people as practices to start to implement where we can start to sit with these feelings as they arise and really pay attention to what's going on inside so we can navigate and understand ourselves a little bit better? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, meditation is number one. So having some sort of mindfulness practice that allows you to kind of sit in the seat of being the observer of the thoughts being the witness of the thoughts. And once you can sit in the seat of the witness and you can observe all the mental activity, watching it almost like you would watch a movie, you can start to see main themes that start popping up and the, the plot outline starts to reveal itself and you see a lot of the thought patterns and belief systems that are constantly arising. And those are usually the ones that you need to look into. So using the meditation and then using a... Journaling is a great way of um, purging a lot of these thoughts and emotions that we might be unaware of and just getting it out on the page. Um, Using the breath, any sort of breath work is great for creating more awareness because obviously the, the breath bridges the mind and the body and it keeps us anchored in the present moment. So whatever takes us away from the breath is usually something we need to pay attention to. And once we bring it right back to the breath, it's, uh, it's kind of like exercising that muscle of awareness. So that's great. Um, there's a great practice called open focus, which I use a lot. And I used to use a lot in my healing in which we use spatial awareness with our vision as a way of creating a more like parasympathetic state, a more um, open and receptive state. I kind of, I kind of make the analogy that Someone who's like narrowly objective focused that's using phones and screens and all this and that is very left brain. They're kind of like a spear fisherman that like throws their spear in one direction and excludes all other directions. But the open focus practice of using spatial awareness is almost like fishing with a net where you just drop the net in and it just allows things to accumulate. It allows things to flow in and flow out. And you can just see what's flowing in and flowing out. So um, there's a book, Open Focus Brain that has a lot of practices and like guided audios. That's awesome. I used to use that all the time. Um, and I was actually doing it this morning on like a walking meditation, doing it out in nature is beautiful too. Um, so that's a great tool. Um, I love, uh, I love EFT, which is a tapping technique 
to release a lot of trapped emotions. It's using a lot of the meridian points. Um, so that's a great one to go to the emotions directly. And then definitely any sort of uh, like hormetic stressor, like heat and cold. So I'm a huge fan of putting yourself in elements of discomfort that you simply just have to breathe with and be present with, like cold showers, cold baths, sauna, things like that. And the extremes kind of shock you into presence and allow you to develop the skill of getting comfortable within discomfort. And a lot of the avoidance of our feelings and emotions are the unwillingness to be uncomfortable. So if we're every day exercising that ability to step outside our comfort zone and just breathe through it and just sit with it and find some sort of awareness and mindfulness and presence within that, that goes a long way in the healing process and allowing things to come up for you and allowing yourself to sit in it. So, I mean, there's so many tools that we can work with that it's really just knowing which tools to take out in any, in any given time and just expanding the toolbox one by one with each practice. So it's, it's endless what we could, what we could explore in that regard. Yeah. I love that. I love that you brought up, um, uh, the hot and cold, you know, mm-hmm. I just did a cold bath. We have an ice bath out back and I just did a cold bath. And one of the things that I like doing is making it way too fucking cold. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, we, we left it plugged in and there was like a huge ice block that formed on the bottom that rose to the top that I had to break with a steel mace and it's hovering right at 33. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, my wife, she likes it in the mid forties and I like it in the mid forties. It's not too challenging, but can I find the inner stillness? when it's 33 degrees, when I have to step in slowly so I don't get cut by a giant ice block, you know, things like that. I think those go well beyond um, just the practice of cold itself, you know? And I mean, there's so much literature, uh, obviously Dr. Rhonda Patrick and people like that have done a great job of beating the drum of what happens physiologically and, um, you know, lowering all-cause mortality and all the good benefits from heat and cold. Obviously, Wim Hof, very big in the cold game, but so much goes well beyond that into our mental emotional state and our ability to navigate the waters of life simply by putting ourselves in an uncomfortable thing and really sitting with that and breathing into it and finding peace and equanimity and our quiet center within the, I might freeze to death if I stay in here too long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a survival reflex to avoid pain and seek pleasure. That's just woven into us. But the more we let that control and navigate our life, I mean, growth doesn't happen within our comfort zone. So, and it's, it's always the story in the head that's saying, are you sure you want to do this? Like my inner child was, are you sure you want to do this podcast? Um, so the head is so much focused on self-preservation, but it's the heart that's focused on self-realization. And the heart's like, fuck yeah, you do. You want to go in there. And because you know you're going to come out the other side stronger. So it's the head that's like, let's stay in the known. But the heart's like, no, let's go into the unknown. That's where the true you is. That's where the true you resides. And that's where I'm directing you towards. And the more we resist that call, the more we have these control mechanisms and all that and storylines, then the more, the more pain we acquire because it's really resisting the pull of our truth which 
um, which over time breeds a lot of pain and eventually disease. So, yeah, that's, that's beautifully said too, because everyone on the planet right now is stepping into the unknown. Yeah. Whatever, whatever normal we go back to is a brand new normal. You know, I think Australia just said they're, they're doing uh, self quarantine through 2022. What? Um, yeah, something, oh something really, really outrageous. And, you know, we just had Dr. Zach Bush on the show, who's phenomenal and, and really intelligent and, is, you know, well-studied when it comes to the soil. Obviously, Paul Check, that's, that's uh, something he's been involved in with the last 20 years. So it's not new to him. But, you know, through vi- virology, understanding like every major virus that's come through has its, has its time on the planet and then leaves. Hmm. They all last two years, right? So they're in, And they all leave before a vaccine is invented, you know, like SARS came and went. So he's like, pay special attention to that. If some vaccines created and that, that take, gets all the, the credit for this thing being vanquished. Uh, it's not, it's not the case. They all come and go, yeah. but it's our response to it. Yeah. What is the response? You know, the response that has so many effects on people from, you know, obviously economic being one of the biggest ones everyone's paying attention to, but how we feel and operate when we're not able to touch other people, when we're not able to gather in mass, when we're not able to bounce ideas off one another face to face and share in each other's energy fields. Um, when we strip that away and really look at what chronic illnesses were happening prior to this, many, by the way, that are being magnified through this because people don't have the tools and they don't have the ability to connect to others. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, those things are, are really you know, factors that need to be a part of the equation, you know, when we talk about the way forward. Yeah. And the archetypes are really showing up right now too. If, I mean, from my perspective, I think there's way too much focus on the virus and not enough focus on the host. And it's the host and the health of the host that really determines the outcome of the virus. But by not sharing with people that look, it's up to you. Your health is your responsibility. We sell that power. We give our power away to authoritative figures. We give our power away to, oh, I'll just wait for a vaccination. And when that happens, then I'll feel safe to go outside. But that's where the child archetype is showing up, where we need the authoritative figures to tell us what to do and to save us and to clean up our mess. And by being in that perpetual posture of the child, we also open up the inner victim, which is man, this is happening to us and there's nothing we can do to take responsibility for ourselves. The victim lives in the perpetual state of crisis. And when that happens and we fail to take responsibility for ourselves and our health, we open the door for self-sabotage. Oh yeah, sure, I'll have that chocolate cake. Of course, I'll stay up later at night and watch Netflix and not get to bed on time. So you can see how the child and the victim and the saboteur all show up in a lot of these scenarios. And that's where we, we can really do a lot of that archetypal work and be like, wow, I see how these patterns are so universal and show up, especially in times of crisis. And that's why they're called survival archetypes. So it's great awareness to have, especially right now. Yeah. I love that. Um, are you, you work with people as a coach do you have online programs or do you work with clients online? Obviously there's, there's people that are going to have quite a few questions after this podcast. I'd love, 
uh, for them to have a place to get more answers and start to gain access to some of these tools that you've been talking about and sharing with us? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm in New Jersey and I have my physical studio here in New Jersey. So I work with clients um, one-on-one here as well, but I do remote coaching through Skype and Zoom and FaceTime and things like that. And they can find me at ghstraining.co and they can reach out to me if they're interested in any one-on-one coaching. Um, Pretty soon I'm going to have some guided meditations up on my resource page at ghstraining.co. So I'll have some content up there for the listeners as well. It's some teachings and some meditations that I've developed. So that will be available on the website and then they can always reach out to me if they need some coaching. That's beautiful, brother. Uh, Are you on any social media platforms or anything like that? Where where can people find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at GHS training. Um, So that's, that's, the primary social media that I use. I don't really use Twitter or Facebook or any of that. So Instagram is probably the best place on social media to, to get in touch with me. Awesome, Greg. It's been so great having you on the podcast and we'll for sure do it again, brother. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you and your listeners is awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. You got it, man. Thank you guys for tuning in to today's show with my dude, Greg Schmaus. I do want to apologize. As I always mention, I'm, I, it's habit. For so long, I had uh, the full support of On It, and I would say, oh, we'll link to that in the show notes. We'll link to that in the show notes. And there's quite a bit missing in the show notes. I don't know if y'all are paying attention, going to look for different people's podcasts that I recommend or their social media handles. Um, my apologies. You know, I'm handling all that myself these days. And even though I promise to do a better job of that in the future, as of right now, I'm stretched pretty damn thin with a newborn and a five-year-old and still trying to to make ends meet with the podcast and uh, with my private coaching and of course coaching and fit for service. So all that said, I will still probably slip up and say, uh, link to this in the show notes and it may not be there. You know, you're going to find all of our sponsors, of course, who make the show possible. But outside of that, um, you may have to do some digging or re-listening to at least, um, find a particular podcast. You know, I think it's episode episode 79 with Greg Schmaus on living 40 and they do a three hour deep dive. So highly recommend that. Of course, um, you know, Greg's links and all that are in Paul Check's show notes. So if you just look there, you'll get it. I uh, love you guys. And I will see you in a week. Uh, we have, who do we have next week? Paul Austin from third wave, uh, a guy I've been really been looking forward to having on the show. We met, I think about a year and a half or two years ago. Um, he's had some amazing people on his podcast. I've actually been a fan of it. Uh, he's had Charles Eisenstein on his show. Who I'm going to have on here, hopefully in the next two months. And, um, God, who else? Uh, Dave Rabin, who I'm going to have on the podcast, who's created the Apollo. I'm not sure if you guys are into uh, some of these tech hacks for anxiety and depression or even just social uh, social anxiety. Like a lot of cool things are happening in the tech world that kind of bridge the gap for us to get better. And even though I'm less on the tech side or biohacking side than, than some of my peers and friends... Um, Ben Greenfield said it best, one foot in ancestral living, one foot in the miracle of modern science. And I couldn't agree more with them. So uh, look for Dave Rabin to come on the show. If you guys want to get into him now, check that out on Third Wave's podcast, which will air next week. I'm on their show as well as uh, Paul Austin on mine. Looking forward to that. And I'll check back in with y'all in a bit.